good evening. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. We're so glad you've chosen to come and, and worship this evening. We're looking forward to gathering around the Lord's table in obedience to his command. Uh, but before we get there, I just wanted to let you know that if you are the first, or uh, if you, this is your first time with us. There we go. Uh, we're so glad you've chosen to come and worship uh, with us. If this is your first time, there's a connect card in the pew back in front of you. And if you don't mind just filling that out and taking it to the welcome desk after the service, that'll give us an opportunity to introduce Grace Baptist Church to you and then also to get to know you a little bit as well. So I don't know if I see any new faces, but I, I thought I would just let that let you know of that. Also, if, if you've attended here and would like to get in contact with the pastoral staff, that connect card is also for you. You can put a prayer request, you can put a question, that'll get to us as a staff and we'll be able to reach out to you. So that connect card is for everybody. Uh, well, if you would take out your bulletin, just have a few things we want to let you know of uh, upcoming. Um, we had a wonderful meeting uh, for Vacation Bible School. We're looking forward to uh, having Vacation Bible School from July 10th through the 14th uh, in the morning, 9 a.m. to 12. There's some invitation cards in the lobby on the black table. If you go out into the lobby and turn around towards your facing the auditorium again, that black table has some of those invitation postcards, as well as there's two sign-up sheets. One is if you would like to help. If you would like to in some way serve in Vacation Bible School, there's some slots that are open. You can put your name down or you can come talk to me. And then also there's a second sign-up sheet and that is for our snacks. Um, there's a snack menu that's kind of put together and we need some help with that, some donations. And so if those things, um, if that could be something you could help with, uh, that sign-up sheet is there for you. But please be in prayer for Vacation Bible School. Also be in prayer, uh, the teens and my family are heading up to Camp Kobiak tomorrow. Uh, we'll leave right around 11 o'clock. Head up there and then be back on Friday. And so if you would just pray for uh, the Holy Spirit to work in the teens as well as in my heart. Uh, we all need the Bible and, and we're going to get a lot of it up, up north, Lord willing, and uh, we'll uh, learn a lot. So be in prayer for the teens that go uh, to summer camp this week. And then on Saturday, uh, Austin Shear and Yeshel Hedrick uh, would like to invite the whole church to their wedding. And that takes place at 2 p.m. And uh, that'll be, again, right here in the auditorium. Then on Saturday, July 8th, from 10 till 8, uh, ladies are invited to come to the Fellowship Hall for a time of crea creativity and fellowship. And so, ladies, if that applies to you, something you're interested in, um, there's a sign-up sheet at the welcome desk for more details. Then, Pastor brought up uh, that we're having our annual business meeting, and that will be on July 23rd. And in preparation for that, uh, there are deacon nominations uh, uh, forms and box in the, uh, on the welcome desk. And so... If you know of a man that would meet the qualifications and his wife that goes along with that, uh, then you can slip their name and slip it into that box, and then uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. But uh, we're looking forward to, and uh, we appreciate the deacons, we're looking forward to having that nomination and election. Uh, you can see on your left-hand side, uh, reading through the Bible in a year, and you want to stay up to date on that. Well, let's go to the Lord and ask his blessing on this evening's service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come and to worship. We're thankful, especially, Lord, that we get to remember what you've done for us. Lord, it is good for us to periodically and, and often remember uh, our Savior, to examine our heart and our life, to do uh, a diagnostic on our walk with you. Lord, each one of us struggle in sin. Each one of us struggle in, in, in the difficulties of life, the effects of sin. And Lord, so these times are good for us to sit and to think about who our Savior is, 
and what he's done for us, and then to check to make sure we are in communion and fellowship with you. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing on this time. We ask that as we sing, may we sing out of a heart of love and purity and, and, and holiness. Lord, as we give of our tithes and our offerings, may we give out of a heart of love and joy. And then, Lord, as we listen to your word and then as we remember what you've done for us, I pray that everything would honor and glorify Christ. Lord, that he would be high and lifted up this evening. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Let's begin singing together. Hymn one, first hymn in your hymnal. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Invite you to stand with me. We'll just sing the first stanza. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Second, ladies. on the beauty of the second verse, but gentlemen, let's at least try to sing out on the third. Men?
be seated, but we'll continue singing one more before the choir sings. 301, Wounded for Me. There are five stanzas, but we'll only sing verses 1, 2, and 3 tonight. 301, 301, Wounded for Me, stanzas 1, 2, and 3.
310, the old rugged cross. You may remain seated, we'll sing all three stanzas. 310. have a word of prayer before we have our offering tonight. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the price that was paid for our redemption. Mankind has been trying year after year to make sense of their condition, have answers of their own to redeem themselves, and we know that redemption only comes through Jesus Christ. As we've sung these songs tonight, I pray that our 
our hearts will have drawn, been drawn closer to the work of Christ on the, on the cross. We thank you that you died for us. We thank you that you didn't stay in the grave, that you rose again the third day. And with that resurrection comes our hope. And so I pray that as believers we would uh, live in that hope and in that glorious recognition that you will come again someday to receive us to yourself. I pray that in this service tonight you'll be honored, you'll be glorified in all that we do and say. Use this offering that it's taken. Help us to know as a church how to best uh, invest in eternity and give us wisdom in that regard. I pray that tonight our hearts will be drawn again closer to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again for our justification. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
you, Ben. Because of the Lord's uh, table tonight and the observance of his supper, uh, I thought I would put uh, Revelation 8 on hold. That's the opening of the seventh seal and the beginning of the tribulation. So I guess that makes me a postponed tribulationist. Uh, but if you'll open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, I'd like us to focus tonight on the sacrifice of our Savior. John the Baptist made an amazing statement when he saw Christ coming toward him in Bethany. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I wonder what was going through his mind when he made that statement about the Savior. It's possible that he was thinking about the Passover Lamb of Exodus chapter 12, where we'll be tonight. It may have been that he was thinking of the suffering lamb that Isaiah talks about, or perhaps even the lamb of God pictured in the book of Revelation. I'd like us to examine the first of these possibilities, that John was thinking of the paschal lamb of Exodus chapter 12 when he said, Behold the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Title tonight, Behold the Sacrificial Lamb. The Passover lamb of Exodus is a type of Christ. Now, in order to have something in scripture that is a genuine type, there must be a reference in the Bible that identifies it with the anti-type or the fulfillment of the type. And uh, much of what is preached in the pulpit today about typology isn't true typology because it misses that link, that passage of scripture that identifies the type with its antitype. But in this case, we have an evidence of the true type. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 7, it's validated because it says, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So Christ is the Passover lamb. Turn with me now to Exodus 12, if you're not there yet, and we'll consider some of the things about the Passover lamb and see how it prefigures the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who was our, our Passover lamb. Exodus chapter 12, let's just read the first five verses to begin. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats." The first point I'd like to bring out in this identification of, as Christ, as the, 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 the antitype of the Passover lamb, is from verse 5 that the lamb was perfect. You'll notice it says that it was without blemish. What does that mean, without blemish? We're, giving a, we're given a greater detail of that uh, without blemish in Leviticus chapter 22, uh, verses 20 through 22. Uh, talking about here all sacrificial animals, not necessarily just the, the lamb that was slain at Passover. Leviticus chapter 22, verses 20 through 22. 
But whatsoever hath a blemish, that shall ye not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. And whatsoever or whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a free will offering in beeves, now beeves in the Old Testament in the Old English is the plural of beef. Okay, so he's talking about either a cow, a calf, a bull. Um, so a free will offering of beeves or sheep, it shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. And then here are the, uh, the stipulations about that blemish. Blind or broken or maimed or having a wen or scurvy or scabbed, you shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar of the Lord. So this unblemished animal had to have six qualifications. They seem to appear in our text as two sets of three. The first three include what we might call physical defects. The lamb or animal was not to be blind, was not to be broken, that is having broken bones, or not to be maimed or wounded. Those are the physical defects. And then also, the second three have to do with the, the overall health of the animal. It was not to have a wen. A wen is a sore. It was not to have scurvy. That was a condition that made the animal uh, scratch itself. It was not to have any scab, uh, any wound that had, uh, the blood had dried over. So any of the cattle or sheep or goats in Leviticus 22.19 that had one of these issues was disqualified from being brought before the Lord or offered by fire on the altar. And why were they to be so cautious about this? It's because of this typology of Christ. There was, to be, there was no defect in Christ. There was no disease. There was nothing that even was symptomatic of death. It had to be, uh, the reality had to be that Christ died for our sins on Calvary's cross. And there was no other cause of death. John 1, 4 says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So he was, he was the life, the way, the truth, and the life. The only thing that caused his death on the cross was our sin. If he were not the perfect sinless sacrifice he would not have been able to bear our sins peter writes about this perfection in first peter 1 18 and 19 for as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. His sinless life made him the perfect sacrifice. Secondly, the Lamb was personal. If you look back at Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3, in our original text, it says, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Every household became personally aware of and connected to this sacrificial lamb. When this innocent lamb was killed, all the members that were there 
realized that its life was being given for their protection, for their redemption, the sacrifice for everyone in the household. Notice the progression in these verses. Verse 3 of Exodus 12, it says, a lamb for an house. At the end of verse 4, we have a different designation. It's the lamb. And at the beginning of verse 5, we see your lamb. And I believe here we have a wonderful picture about how each of us individually become personally acquainted, connected, dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you know Christ only as a lamb. You have not trusted his work on the cross to save you from your sins. And he appears to you as a lamb. He was innocent. Maybe you say, well, I, I even recognize him as more than just a lamb. I believe he was the lamb of God. And there are some people who have come to that conclusion in their minds and in their hearts, but there still is no redemption, no personal application uh, that he is their personal lamb. John described the one who can take away the sin of the world. That's the, the, that, that's the step that's important. We need to recognize him as our lamb. John records the words of Jesus who refused to, uh, about those who refused to acknowledge him as God in John 8, 41. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And so he appears to some as the lamb, but he must be your lamb. And when, when you trust him personally as your Savior, you can say that. He's your lamb. Just as the Israelites chose their lamb and placed its blood on their own door as their only hope, you must take him as your lamb. It's not enough to come together and sing songs of praise. We enjoy that. We enjoy fellowship. We even enjoy reading the scriptures. But in order to have salvation, you must have him as your lamb. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He must be your personal Lamb. Third, the Lamb was prepared. In verse 3 it says, They shall take to them every man a Lamb. Verse 5, Ye shall take it out from the sheep. This was a Lamb that was chosen. It was selected to be the sacrifice. And indeed this type is true of Christ because he was chosen. He was chosen by God. In Romans 3, 24 and 25, we read, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that it was in Christ Jesus, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. It was the Father who chose the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. Christ was also taken by man. Isaiah 53 and verse 8, He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Acts 2.23 combines God's choice of a lamb and man's responsibility for the death of that lamb. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, 
and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. The Lamb was chosen, chosen by God, taken by men to be crucified. The Lamb was slain at a precise time. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 2, you, you remember what we read. This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. The Passover in Egypt changed everything in Israel's calendar. This was now the beginning of their new year. The sacrifice of Christ marks a new beginning in our lives. When you trust him as your savior, your eternal life has begun. We call it regeneration. It's a new birth. And that new birth begins a new life. And so salvation marks that new birth and that new time in our lives, an eternal life with Christ. He was taken at the peak of his strength. In verse 5 of Exodus 12, we read that this was to be a male of the first year. This lamb was taken when it was its strongest in life. How like the Savior, whom in Psalm 102:24 we read, he was cut off in the midst of his days. Why so young? At the peak of his strength, in due time, Christ died for us. He was chosen. He was slain. The blood was applied. In verse 7 of Exodus 12, we didn't read that, but notice it says, And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. You look down at verse 22 of chapter 12 of Exodus. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. Why? It was a sacred place. Here's man's responsibility to, to follow through with God's method of atonement. God is the only one who can save us from our sin. We all know that. We recognize that. Redemption is his work. But there is, again, this human responsibility. Man must apply the blood. There's a balance between the work of God and the responsibility of man in the sacrifice. The lamb was slain. That's God's provision for our salvation. But the blood applied. That's your responsibility. That was the responsibility of each of the households in Israel. Some might think, what does that mean? I don't understand how how our lives could be spared if we just apply this blood on the doorpost and lintel. It, it doesn't seem logical. Explain that to me, how that, would, how that would make any difference. Well, it's a matter of faith. It involves a belief and an obedience because of that belief in what God tells us to do. Nothing else but faith and obedience mattered. One commentator writes this, God's eye was not upon the house. Speaking of those houses in Israel that had the blood applied. God's eye was not upon the house, but on the blood. It might have been a lofty house, a strong house, a beautiful house. This made no difference. If there was no blood, there judgment entered and did its deadly work. 
Its height, its strength, its magnificence availed nothing. On the other hand, the house might be a miserable hovel, falling to pieces with age and decay, but no matter. If blood was upon its door, those within were perfectly safe. Aren't you glad that God doesn't look at you and say, well, you're worthy, and others and say they're not worthy? No, the only thing that makes us worthy is the blood of the Lamb applied to the doorposts and lintel of our hearts. Look at the manner of this application of the blood. It was applied with hyssop. Hyssop was a, is a leafy branch that grew against the wall. Solomon refers to it as a plant that springs out of the wall in 1 Kings 4.33. It's a common plant in Israel. In Psalm 51.7, David prayed, Purge me with hyssop in his penitential prayer. It's a symbol of repentance and contrition. In John chapter 19 and verse 29, it was the reed that raised the vinegar and wine to our Lord as he died for our sins on Calvary. John 19, 29, and there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. So the blood was applied in the Old Testament household with hyssop. It was applied from a basin. In verse 22, it's an interesting word, basin, and I always thought of that as a bowl, but that it has another possibility here. Over in Judges chapter 19 and verse 27, that same word is translated threshold. And so that basin might have been the absolute the step, that threshold of the of the door. It's translated as the word with the word door in 2 Kings chapter 12 and verse 9. I believe it's very possible that the lamb was killed at the very doorway and the blood was applied to the lintel, the top of the door, and then to the doorpost, each side of the door. For the believer who lives after Calvary, we can look back and see the scene that's revealed in unmistakable clarity. We see the blood at the threshold and we think of the nail that pierced his feet. We note the doorpost on the right and left and remember his nail-pierced hands. And there on the lintel, that wondrous love to see the head crowned with thorns bleeding for us. What a sacred scene that typifies our Lord on Calvary's cross. There's another activity that typifies the saving work of the Passover lamb. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 8 through 11, we see the significance of the meal. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water that is boiled, but roast with fire, his head, his legs, with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. They were leaving Egypt that night. They were to be ready to, to, to leave. Notice the, the symbols in this meal. It was roasted with fire. Fire represents God's judgment of sin. 
The altar of the tabernacle and later in the temple was made of bronze, also a symbol of judgment. And fire was put on that altar to consume the sacrifice. Christ took that judgment, that punishment that we deserved. He was judged for our sin. We also read of unleavened bread. Leaven represents sin. The Israelites were told to avoid eating leaven from the 14th to the 21st day of Passover week. Exodus chapter 12, verse 18. And in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the 1 and 20th day of the month at even. There is to be no sin in this meal. Bitter herbs. Those remind the Israelites of the afflictions, the toil in Egypt. And then nothing left behind, verse 10. Verse 4 says, according to his eating, everyone was to have enough, but nothing was to be wasted. Oh, I see our salvation pictured here. We, see, we say that salvation is sufficient for all, but efficient for those who call upon him. One author writes, the sacrifice in all its ceremonial was to be completed within a single night. The rising of the sun was thus to see no trace of the slain lamb. In like manner, the atoning work of Christ is not a progressive, but a completed thing. Once you trust Christ, once you've accepted him as your lamb, there's nothing more to be done. Redemption's work has been completed. Jesus said at Calvary, it is finished. There's a readiness of the meal. They ate in readiness in the joy and anticipation that Christ was going to deliver them. In that, I ask myself, am I ready for his return? Am I prepared? Am I looking for his coming again? Christians are going to be delivered. Are you ready for his return? And so behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, the lamb was prepared. And one last point tonight. The lamb was propitious. Propitiation was already a word that we came across in our text in our reading tonight. Propitiation is simply the, the, the turning aside of God's wrath. And Christ is our propitiation. Verse 12 of Exodus 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be for, or to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. There are two different words that I read in this passage. They're crucial to our understanding of what took place in Egypt and what will take place soon. First of all, we have that phrase, pass through. The death angel passed through the land of Egypt. And then we see the word in verse 13, pass over. I will pass through the land of Egypt. I will pass over you. Phrases are very close as we look at them. What a 
Big difference they are theologically. Passing through the land indicates God's judgment. Let's look ahead and see what happens in verses 29 and 30 of Exodus 12. And it came to pass that at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on the throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Note the severity of the judgment. Death. Verse 30, there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Observe the objects of God's judgment in verse 12. Both man and beast. This judgment was also against all the gods of Egypt. Egypt had over 2,000 gods that they worshipped. Isis and Osiris were the gods who helped mothers protect their children. Isis and Osiris couldn't be there to help when it was needed the most. It was said of Isis that she was the sister of Osiris. This is Greek, our Egyptian mythology. We talked about myths this morning, fiction. But according to the mythology, she had the power to resurrect her dead brother. But again, this was against the gods of Egypt. They were powerless to help passing through the land, an indication of God's judgment. Passing over shows God's protection. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The life is in the blood and must for sin atone. One sacrifice and once for all the blood of Christ alone. Oh, see the guilt of sin, which needed such a price, and see the marvel of that love which made the sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God is our propitiation. He has turned aside God's wrath that we rightfully deserve. Have you applied the blood of the Lamb on the door of your soul? He's our only hope of salvation. If you've never put your faith and trust in him, I, I hope today will be the day of your salvation. Turn to him in faith. Say, Lord, I trust you. Forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me. That's the application of the blood on your heart. If you are a believer, I hope as we've read these passages tonight that you'll focus your gaze on him, the one who died on Calvary's cross, the one who was symbolized in the Passover meal. Thank him for his salvation. Examine your life during this communion service. Confess what might be there that's keeping you from serving him completely and surrender your life to be used for his glory. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for what you've done for us. We're thankful for the picture that was given to the Old Testament Israelites or if they understood it or not, there was the, 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 the type of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we thank you that it is only through him that we have eternal life. Now bless the time that we have tonight around this table, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.